So we are in First Kings. We started last week. Y'all remember, covered chapter one. We're going to pick it up tonight in chapter two and see how far we get tonight in chapter two while you're getting settled. Good chapter. First 12 verses. We're going to look at a transition in leadership. A transition in leadership. Something that's always difficult because people don't like change sometimes and new leaders can struggle. Some people can look to take advantage of that situation. Um, Although it's not the first time we've seen it. We saw it when Moses uh, switched uh, transition to the leadership of Joshua. And then as Moses Moses died or the Lord took his life and and, uh, dealt with his body. Then We also saw it when Saul died and uh, the kingdom transitioned to David. So we've we've seen that as well. We also saw kind of a transition from Samuel, if you back up a little before that, as a judge to the first king of Israel with Saul. And some of those things, there's always difficulty. And we see that anytime there's a change in leadership, whether it's in a secular organization. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Um, Whether it's a secular organization or... It's the people of God, whether Old Testament nation of Israel, as well as sometimes um, within the church. And then in verses 13 through 46, we're going to see the establishing of that new leadership. So we look at the transition, but then we got to look at the, the, how he gets established and some of the things that go along with that. So just overall, the Bible is alive and speaks to us and we can get stuff from it. Amen. We can apply it to our lives. But even even from a standpoint of just understanding some of the leadership things that we need to take note of. So um, I'll read a few verses, pray again, and then we'll we'll get into it. It says in verse one, if you dare say amen with now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And so, Father, as we approach tonight's text, Lord God, we're thankful that you are so faithful to meet us here every time we open your scripture. We're thankful that it's alive, Lord God, and it speaks, it challenges us, it washes us, and it even strengthens us, Lord, and gives us direction. Uh, Lord, for those uh, tonight that may be weary, uh, that may be struggling through this week or through life's journey, uh, Lord, give us some refreshment and direction tonight as we need always to hear from you, Lord God. The world is so loud. And then we have these moments where we gather together where it's quiet. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in verse 1, obviously, David is getting close to death. We saw last week as we began the book of, of 1 Kings that David was so old that he, he couldn't stay warm any longer. He couldn't keep his body warm no matter what he did. They could pile the blankets on, but it wasn't doing uh, anything, you know. Um, 
uh, I remember just watching the old movies where they, they used to have these, uh, these pans where they put hot coals in them and they would, they would rub the sheets before you get them to warm them up. Has anybody ever actually experienced that? Raise your hand. You ain't telling yourself. Ain't nobody. Okay. I've, I've had somebody offer the turndown service before and I didn't know what that was. I played along and Lisa had to explain it to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, but, but it didn't matter. David's health is failing. He's old. Um, he's had a hard life, as we talked about last week. He's getting close to time for him to die. And the interesting thing is that David knows it. It's a very interesting thing. He knows it. And, I, I've, you know, you see those times when some people, when they walk with the Lord and they get close to death, and they kind of have this peaceful um, train. They just leave. I've seen that. They just kind of leave. That's amazing. I pray, I pray for the rapture. But if not, if, if that doesn't happen in my life, I pray for those, those just, you just leave kind of moments where, you know, uh, uh, and get to go and be with the Lord. And so he knows it's coming and he is going to call for Solomon, obviously it says, and he charged Solomon, his son. Uh, he's given him a charge, um, a command, if you will, encouragement, even if you will, um, because he knows it's necessary. He knows his son, he knows his son's strengths, and he knows his son's weaknesses. He knows maybe there's some areas where his son uh, is vulnerable to some things. And David cares, actually, we can see that, that his son is successful in carrying on some things. But there's also something that David has a resolve in, and it's what God has already said to him. And that's what he's holding on to. So in some ways, that he, as he knows he's passing this torch, he knows that God has already promised to do a mighty work in this thing. And so now, because of that, he's going to charge him. So the first thing he charges him is to be strong. We see it in verse 2. He says, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. In other words, I'm leaving. I won't be here to encourage you. I won't be here to give you direction. I won't be here to tell you what... I think you should do or give you advice or any of those things or for you to just fall back on when you need to. Um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm leaving the earth, so you are going to have to then be strong and prove yourself a man, Solomon. You're going to have to stand firm in the things that you have learned, in the things that you have been taught, in the counsel that is around you. And more importantly, not just be strong. It's not just be strong in his own strength. And it could be that David thinks that Solomon is a somewhat timid. We don't really know. But what he's going to tell them to be strong in is the same thing that we all need to be strong in. And it's found in verses 3 through 4 where he says, and keep the charge of the Lord your God. Amen. We, he could stop there. This is how you're going to be able to make it through, Solomon. This is how you're going to be able to make decisions that maybe you're not sure how to make or to deal with difficult situations and challenging situations that come your way and you're not quite sure what to do with it. You're going to need to be strong in the Lord, you know, and keep the charge of the Lord. And so this is what he's obviously telling them to do. And David can speak from experience because it was the Lord that got David through all of the difficult times when he was running from all of the enemies that he had, enemy after enemy. When I read the Psalms, sometimes, and I'm reading in the mornings and I'm journaling um, what, I, what God has given me from just that. And I'm like, Lord, I don't have the enemies that David had, you know, but I know who my enemy is. 
You know, because I recognize David, David had, he couldn't walk outside without looking in for snipers, you know, before he would relax, you know, these people wanting to shoot arrows at him and throw spears at him. So he had real enemies. And in all of that, he called on the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He turned to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord. He wept to the Lord. In one Psalm, he says, it's almost as if my bed is floating down river because of my tears. I kind of embellished a little bit. (laughs) It's like my tears are causing my bed to float is what David was saying. There's none to help me. I'm surrounded by my enemies, David would write. And so David understands all too well. He's not just giving his son some kind of spiritual cliches that you can, you can get off of these little cute devotionals that you might put on the back of the toilet seat in your guest bathroom. <laughs> and I've been to your houses, so I know y'all do it. <laughs> I actually like them though, by the way, but no, no. He's saying, you're going to need this. So you're going to have to keep the charge of the Lord, your God. And I like the fact that David is saying to Solomon, and if you read it carefully, he did not say, be careful, be strong, keep the charge of the Lord, my God. He said to him, keep the charge of the Lord, your God. Because if you're going to be king and you're going to continue this this thing that, that God has begun in our line here, You're going to be able to know him as your God, and you're going to need to walk with him as your God. And I get the sense that David has already been able to see somewhere in there that Solomon has grabbed hold of this faith himself. So he could say this to his son. The most important thing that we as parents need to accomplish, you got to push all the worldly things aside for a moment and understand that from an eternal perspective, The most important thing that we as parents can give to our children is this understanding of the Lord, their God, not our God, their God. Because if we can't accomplish that, we've missed the whole point of being a parent within the body of Christ. The world is crazy. It is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know any other way to say it. Things are weird out there. And so this is what our children must know. And so, you know, I had to talk with a six-year-old <laughs> who was getting baptized. You know, I always, we always find ourselves in these challenges. Everybody under 12, it's like, we got to have a conversation. Why do you want to get baptized? Because your siblings getting baptized? Did your parents talk you into this? So we put the parents in another room. <laughs> Tell me why you want to do this. And kids do not have deep theological answers. Their answers are always very simple if it's real to them. It's, it's very simple. I think one I heard uh, this year is because I want to I tell Jesus I'm sorry. Translation, repentance. And what are you sorry for? For all the bad things I've done. Repentance. I'm translating it into adult language, biblical language. She's saying, that child is saying, I want to I I be right. <laughs> I've done wrong. I'm like, well, ain't she coming to Jesus? I'm like, okay. All right. What am I supposed to do with that? Say, no, you can't get baptized. I'm like, all right. So I simply said this. I say, I said, well, you know what? You, she's probably going to do it again when she's an, an adult because she won't remember it all. But for now, tend a little heart. We're going to dunk her in the water, you know? So, <laughs> so there are things that we have to work through in all these things. And so this is the thing that we are charged with, with all of those little ones over there. And, and so David, in his, in his aged life, has this, this, this younger son. And, and he slows down a little bit and he's got people in the palace helping him pouring into some people think that Nathan spent a lot of time with Solomon, of course, the Sheba's mother and different things. And, and David probably had a little bit more care. We know from reading the book of Proverbs that Solomon said, when I was young and tender, 
my father taught me. Y'all remember that verse in the book of Proverbs? So he's learned some things and he's watched some things and he's heard the stories. Man, my dad killed giants because of God. God is real. And so he, he's had all of that going on. And so he charges him uh, to keep the charge of the Lord, his God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments. He's saying, keep the word of God in your life. Walk according to the commandments of God. His judgments, notice. He's, David is breaking it down. And his testimonies. Notice this, though. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. In other words, you need to do this so that God will prosper you. Verse four, he says that the Lord may fulfill. Here it is. His word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way and walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now, we, I'm not going to take time to dig into all of that. Um, we can see it back in, in the book of uh, 1 Samuel when God was speaking to, to David and 2 Samuel about his line. Um, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 29, David's rehearsing a greater charge to Solomon there. Actually, if you want to put in your notes, go look at 1 Chronicles 28 and 29 where David, and I think there are two different occurrences, where David actually charges Solomon there um, amongst all of the leadership of Israel. He calls everybody out and everybody's present when he's saying these things and he charges Solomon. I think the one we're reading here is probably maybe, and this is just me, maybe one-on-one, -on -one, but then there's a greater one where everybody is there and he's charging him before everybody and David rehearsed everything that God did. He says, God, God, uh, saw something in me and he chose me to, to be this king and he made me this promise that if my sons walk with him that there'll always be someone from my line on the throne and as long as they did all the way through Hezekiah God kept it and then they fell off um, the, the descendants of David after that went into they turned from God after Hezekiah and so God took it from them and he sent them captive into Babylon. Y'all know the story, okay? They haven't had a king since then. And they won't have one until the ultimate one who comes from the line of David shows up. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ, the Messiah and our Lord. Amen? Amen. Um, but God will fulfill all of his promises. So this is the charge that David is making to Solomon. And this charge says, he said, he's reminding him, look, you need to keep the word of God that you've learned and remember the promise that God made to me. And you need to keep these things. And if you do, God is always going to be with you. He leaves them with this promise. If you walk with him, he's going to walk with you. And that's the same thing that we can say to our, ch our children today. Look, the Bible says, if you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. You know, if you draw close to him, resist the enemy. The enemy has to flee away from you. We can make these promises to our kids. And one of the reasons we can make these promises is because we're walking it out, right? Adults, amen. We're walking it out for ourselves. We've seen it. We've experienced it. God has established us. Um, and so this is the thing that we see here with David. Now, the next thing he's going to do is begin to speak to him about some serious leadership concerns, serious matters. You need to handle some serious matters carefully, he's going to say to Solomon, and decisively and bring justice um, as a king should. So he's going to give him some specific things that he, he needs to do and, and some of the things that 
He's going to say to him, he's going to leave it within Solomon to figure it out on his own, but he's going to give him a little direction. Y'all ready? Verse five. He says, moreover, you know also what Joab, (laughs) the son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war, notice this, in peace times, and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. That speaks of close-up murder. He was close. What is he talking about? Well, notice he said he did it in peace times. So now Joab, not to get into all of the details, you can do the research and look back, but the first thing he mentions is he killed, Joab um, killed Abner, the son of Ner. Um, Abner was, if you will, the commander of the army of Israel, and he had uh, made a deal with David that, look, David, God says you're going to be the king, and we're going to get all this stuff right, and I am going to speak to all of Israel. They should, they should follow you, and Abner and David were making peace, and it was going to be good for Israel, but Joab. Joab was always loyal to David, but Joab would, was, would not always be obedient, and he would take matters into his own hands, and he would do things Um, you know, that would secure his position. Y'all with me? And so this is the kind of guy Joab was. Joab would do those things that he needed to do to secure his own position in leadership under David, but always, for the most part, had David's back. So there's something that's just not right with him, and we'll talk about why David didn't deal with it. And then notice the other one, um, Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. Um, This one he killed as well, the commander of David's army, who David had sent out to do some things. He took too long to get back. And so Joab took it upon himself to kill him as well, which left Joab as kind of the the top commander under David. And so he killed both of these men. And so now David is saying, hey, remember this dude, what he did? The question is, well, David, why is he alive? Solomon could have said, dad, why are you leaving this to me? Why do you do this on your own watch? And one of the things that's unfortunate in leadership is that sin hinders our ability to be leaders. One of the subtle effects of sin in our lives is that it numbs the righteous conviction of God. See, here's the problem. Joab knew all of David's skeletons. He knew where the bodies were buried. You see, when David slept with Bathsheba and committed adultery, then he sent for her husband to come so he could try to get him to go home and sleep with his wife to cover up the fact that she was pregnant. And then he tried to get Uriah drunk and get him to go home, and Uriah still wouldn't go because he was a loyal soldier. So David wrote a note and put it in in Uriah's hand sealed and says, take this to Joab because Joab was out at war. David was supposed to be out at war, but he wasn't. He was complacent back at the palace. So he got his butt in trouble. Y'all with me? Y'all know the stories. Okay. So he sent the note to Joab and said, Hey, Joab, put Uriah on the front line in the hottest part of the battle. And I know Joab was thinking, Hmm, I wonder what this is about. Well, he was, All right, I'll do it. He put him out there and Uriah got killed. 
I'm sure when Joab got back to town, you know, and settled everything, put his gear up and, you know, cleaned off and then went to, to the palace to report in, there's Uriah's wife living in the palace and she's pregnant. You know, and so word gets around because some of the servants in the palace who David has sent to bring Bathsheba to him. Y'all know the story, right? They talking. Y'all know how people are. People don't be quiet. <laughs> so Joab's like, mm-hmm. I see why he sent me that note. So now Joab knows David's sin. And so David, because of his sin, he didn't have, if you will, the righteous conviction the righteous indignation to carry out what he needed to do to deal with Joab, who was a bad seed in his ranks to begin with. And so this sin, it hindered him from being able to do anything. And I'll tell you, parents, one of the things that, that happens in parenting is our sin hinders our ability to deal with things in our own household because of something that we've done. And now that, that um, kind of, if you will, causes us to not be able to carry out the righteousness of God because we always got that weight over our head which you can't seem to get out from under. But the beautiful thing about Christ, parents, the beautiful thing about Christ is when you bring anything to him, it's under the blood of Christ. Okay, he, he forgives, he restores, he renews, okay? And then we just have to walk out in the, in the, in the humility of God and be like, yeah, you're right, dad messed up. But dad, turn that over to the Lord. And now I've got to do things the way he would have me to do things. Amen. <laughs> and the way he would have me to do things is this way, because this is what the word says. And, and so, yes, I, I, was a, I was a mess at that point in my life. Y'all saw it, you know, but, but we got to move forward in the righteousness of God now. And so David was not able to do that. And so David had a lot of problems because of that in his own household. That really plagued him for the rest of his time as king. And it, and it hindered his ability to be the king that he could have been if he didn't have those sins in his life. Everybody understand what I'm saying? And so as a leader in any way that you're called to be a leader, you have to be a bit transparent, unfortunately, about these things. So that the people who are following you can simply say, yeah, but he's really turned that over to the Lord. Or she's really given that thing to God. And God has renewed him or her. And so this is the person that God has established as head in a home, uh, as parent, as king, as leader, ministry leader, overseer, whatever the case may be. And we got to get behind what God is doing. Amen. Amen. And so but David was unable to do that. So but David in his in understanding a lot of these things now, he here's what David doesn't want. Even though David didn't get it done, he does not want this to happen and to continue over into his son's reign. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? In other words, in order for you to be the king, you need to be Solomon. Some stuff gonna got, to, got to get taken care of right up front. These are some problems I don't want you to have. I know Joab. He's old, he's cunning, and he's crafty. And if you let him go into your kingdom, he's going to get you. He's going to find a way to stab you in the back. So, so that's what he's dealing with now. And so he says, um, he did this, verse 6, therefore, do according to your wisdom, I like this, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Now, he didn't tell him how to do it. He said, but God give you wisdom, but you're going to have to deal with Joab. In other words, he needs to die, Solomon, don't let him, don't let him. Okay, y'all got it? All right, let's see what Solomon does with all of that. All right, 
but show kindness, verse 7. So here's some things he's also going to charge him because it's going to get tough. Solomon, you don't know how this thing works yet. I've already done this. I've been doing this a long time and you're just getting into it, Solomon. So there's some things you don't want, you, you, you don't know yet. I'm going to give you a little, little, uh, some advice here and there, but he says, therefore, um, do according to your wisdom. Don't let his gray hair go down to the grave, but show kindness to the sons, sons, plural of and the Gileadite and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. So when I was on the run, they were an aid. And because they were an aid, I'm here today to turn the kingdom over to you. And I want to repay them. So remember them. They've been our friends. They've been loyal. Hey, these folks you want to make sure you take care of. They're honorable. They're faithful. They're for the Lord and they're for the king. So don't nobody, don't care what Joab or nobody else says about them. You need to look out for them, Solomon. And see, verse 8, you have been, uh, and see, you have with you there Shimei, Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, from Bethurim, who cursed me with malicious, a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. This is when David had to flee, flee Jerusalem because Absalom was trying to kill him. David left barefoot, walking in shame. Again, because of the sin that he had committed and it hindered him from being able to discipline his boys. And so a lot of things happened. And so his son was against him. We talked about that last week. And so David left. He says, but he came down to meet me at Jordan. And I swore to him, by the Lord saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. In other words, when David was coming back to retake the king, he kind of tried to make some peace with, with David. And, you know, David humbled because of all of the stuff that he had done when he messed up. He didn't take his life. But here's what David says. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. And I, I like this. This is the second time that David has said to Solomon, do according to your wisdom. Here, for you are a wise man. So as he's turning the kingdom over to him, he knows some of the weakness of, weaknesses of his son, but he's encouraging his son, his son at the same time. You are wise, and God is going to be with you. So you need to make these decisions in wisdom. You are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm telling you who he is. Now use wisdom. He says, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. So David says, hey, Joab, he needs to die. And Shimei needs to die. Um, because in his heart is wickedness towards you. So he's giving them these instructions. Everybody okay so far? There are things that need to be dealt with. You know, when there's a change in leadership, the old leadership has to tell the new leadership, here's what you got. Here where the minefields are. These are the people who carry daggers and they like to throw them at people's backs. <laughs> this is what you need to be concerned about. So take care of these things. Um, and then in verses 10 through 12, we see David's end. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, city of David, south of what we know as the Temple Mount. Um, and it says... The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. 
seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. And again, I encourage you to read First uh, Chronicles chapter 28 and 29. Um, it taught, David there declares everything that he did to prepare for the building of the temple. Solomon's going to build it, but David says, this is what I've, I've desired to do. God said I couldn't do it because I'm a man of war. Blood's on my hands, so I can't build the temple. But he has said that my son da uh, Solomon is going to do it. And then David gives Solomon in those chapters the, the plans for the temple. So what Solomon actually builds is what David had prepped for. In other words, David had, had collected all of the things. David had set with the architects. David got the plans all put together, so, so all of those things. And so David has set Solomon up to be able to reign. And so this is what we're going to look at now as we go into uh, the rest of the book of 1 Kings, the next few chapters at least. Um, now, Solomon is now king. David has exhorted him. And so how is his kingdom going to be established? Is he going to follow through with some of the things that David said? How is he going to navigate all of that? Everybody ready? Verse 13, now Adonijah, you remember that guy, right? From last week. Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And you remember Solomon, or David allowed him to live, but he told him to go down to his house. Y'all remember that? Solomon told him that last week. Solomon, that was one of his first duties. But now this guy is coming to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And so she said, do you come, in pe you come peacefully? I mean, she needed to ask this because when he was trying to take over the kingdom, one of the first things that he was going to probably do is kill Solomon and maybe even her. So she's like, look, you come in peacefully or not? You know, what's going on? And he said, peacefully. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. Then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. I, I like that reaction. Good reaction. There's still issues in this guy's heart. Okay. You know the kingdom was mine and all Israel has set their expectation on me that I should reign. He's got eye disease. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's. Then he throws this in for it was his from the Lord. Now, probably he really realizes that that was the case, um, but it, it could be also spiritual talk. Nevertheless, he ain't in agreement with it, right. okay? Now, I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. And she said to him, say it. Then he said, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag, remember her, the Shunammite, as wife. I'll make a mention of something in a minute. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for, uh, for you to the king. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and he bowed down to her and sat down on his throne. And he had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. I love this. You know, he's king, but she's his mother. There's a little honor there. He bowed to his mother, um, made a place for her to sit at his right hand while he sat on his throne. Um, and so 
Verse 20, then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. Now, there's some things behind the scenes here, and I'll I'll mention in a minute. Um, The fact that she's even doing this, and I'll come back to it. So she said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, now catch Solomon here. His dad said, be strong. Do things according to your wisdom. So he says, why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother for him and for Abiathar, the priest, and for Joab, the son of Zoriah. Now, Joab, remember, had joined himself to Adonijah to be his man when he was going to be king. So Solomon, in his wisdom, is like, hold on a second. You might as well just give them the whole kingdom. Don't you realize what's going on, mom? What? What What do you mean? Well, see, what we have to understand is Abishag, even though, remember, she was the, the woman that they sought for throughout all the kingdom, and she was very lovely. So they, they looked for a very beautiful woman to take care of the king because he couldn't keep himself warm. So she goes and she takes care of him. She's his nurse. Um, she even lays with him to keep him warm, although the king, King David, did not know her, meaning that they were not intimate. Okay, y'all remember all of this from last week. Okay, however, she is a part of his harem at this point. Which means that because she's a part of his harem, if she goes to Adonijah, it's a symbol of more of him still having some, if you will, royal tie and expectation. And it's going to set things up in people's mind and it's going to pull him in closer and he can just wait for opportunity to use that and eventually stab David in the back. And in his wisdom, he caught it just like that. You catch that? But the thing that gets me is, why would his mother not catch it? Well, there may be a couple of things. One, maybe she wants to get rid of the woman because she's upset because they sought for this woman and made her David's keeper and not her. I mean, I'm thinking like a woman for a second. <laughs> yeah, I want her out of here anyway. I'll go along with this thing. Or maybe, it's, maybe she hesitated. We don't know. But God moved on her to go ahead and go through with it. Because it needed to happen to preempt Solomon to do something he needed to do. Because this thing was just brewing in the background. And, 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 and Adonijah would have been looking for opportunity to see weakness in the kingdom of Solomon. And, and this needed to be dealt with. So Solomon in his wisdom recognizes right up front, no, he's my older brother. You know, he's a son of David as well. And she's one of da- my dad's harem, uh, ladies from the harem. And so this can't happen. Now, some scholars believe that she is actually the same, it says Shunammite here, but some believe she's the Shulamite woman from the Song of Solomon and that maybe Solomon already had his eye on her. (laughs) We don't really know that. All I'm saying is there's a whole lot of drama happening here in the palace. So however this thing goes down, maybe, maybe Bathsheba wants her gone. Solomon's like, nope, that ain't happening for a couple of reasons. Let's see his reaction because that's, that's important. So he understands that, okay, Joab is, is Adonijah's right man. 
Um, and then not only that, he mentions Abiathar in verse 22. The priest was also kind of with him. So there's some issues here. And so verse 23, then King Solomon swore by the Lord saying, may God do so to me and more also if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, uh, as he promised, meaning God promised to Solomon, Adonijah shall be put to death. Notice what Solomon says today. He can't wait. He's exposed himself. It needs to be taken care of. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of uh, Jehoda, and he struck him down and he died. So he had him killed and he did it swiftly, which shows not only that he's proven himself to be strong as a man who has taken the kingdom, but he's also using wisdom because this was going to be a problem in the kingdom and in the leadership, a little leaven, if you will, was going to leaven the whole lump. Now, one of the things from a leadership perspective, y'all listen now, that I saw here that I think is a leadership lesson for all of us is I'm always leery when someone comes either from a side flank or a back door. He goes to Bathsheba as opposed to requesting a meeting with the king himself. So he tries to get Bathsheba to go to the king on his behalf to ask for the woman as his wife. To me, that's always an indication of wrong motives. And people do that. People like to circumvent and go around and or they, they look for who's close to the person that they're trying to get something from. And then they go to that person, um, you know, uh, and try to get them to talk on their behalf. To me, that's always a red flag if you're in leadership. If they can't come straight to you, red flag. Make a mental note, something ain't right, and pray about it. You know, you ain't got to trip out or act differently, but just begin to pray. Like, well, okay, I don't know what that is, but I, 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 I'm paying attention to that. You know, and parents, don't we have to do that? Look, when the one child is sent by the older child to ask for something that you know the older child wants and you already told them no, that's, that's what that is. Y'all, y'all follow what I'm saying? Like, who puts you up to this? Come on. That is, that's, that, I, you see it all the time, you know, and it's a red flag. There's something wrong. Pay attention to that thing and, uh, and, and be, be strong and be wise in the Lord because it's the Lord that establishes leadership and it's the Lord that gives wisdom to leadership. Amen? All right. Let's keep going. So now, verse 26, and to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to, he's saying this to the priest, Anathoth, to your own field, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. In other words, you know, there's history here, so I'm not going to kill you. But you, you were in a part of this coup. You know, you, in your heart, you are against me. And so I need to, to, to speak to you, and, and this is what he's telling him. And so Solomon removed Abiathar for being priest. 
to the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord. Now, before I get to that, so he tells him, hey, look, go, go, to your, go where your farm is and work your fields. You ain't going to be preached anymore. Get out of my sight. Go tend to your farm. But it's the fulfillment of scripture, verse 27, um, that it might be fulfilled the word uh, which the Lord had spoken concerning Eli at Shiloh. Now, if you go back um, to 1 Samuel and we see that in chapters 2 and 3, that Eli was the priest at Shiloh. And he was a, he was, he was very obese um, physically, which also spoke of his spiritual condition. He would not discipline his boys. And what his boys were doing was stealing the offerings that the people were bringing and bringing a reproach. People didn't want to worship and bring their offering anymore. They were also sleeping with the women that were coming to the church to, to worship. They were, they were horrible. And God spoke to him on multiple occasions. He refused to discipline his sons. So God gave a word. A second time, he had already spoke by a prophet, but then he took a little boy, Samuel, and he spoke to him and he says, listen, I'm about to judge his house for the sin that he knows. And God says, I'm not going to let, there's going to come a time when there won't be a, a, a man of this line that will operate in the priesthood. And so this is being fulfilled by removing this man is what the, the Bible is now telling us. In verse 28, then the news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah. Though he had not defected to Absalom. In other words, you know, he, he hung in there for a while, but he had uh, defected this time. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. So Joab knows that Solomon is cleaning house. So he runs to the altar. He grabs a hold of the horns of the altar. And King Solomon was told Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. Um, there he is by the altar. Um, then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, I'm, I'm butchering it, saying, go strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and he said to him, thus says the king, come out. And he said, no, Joab is saying, no, but I will die here. Joab said, I ain't coming out because I already know what's going to happen. I'm staying here. I'll die here. And Benaiah brought word back to the king saying, Thus said Joab, thus, uh, and thus he answered me. Then the king said to him, do as he said, and strike him down and bury him. In other words, do to him just as he said. If he says he's going to die there by the altar, then go kill him right there by the altar. And then bury him. And then you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. In other words, my father didn't take care of this. And so this is on us because of the innocent blood that this man shed, even in peace times. And we need to get this done so it takes away, if you will, the reproach from against my father and against our line for, for not carrying out the justice that should have been carried out. And this is what Solomon is being called to do as king. And sometimes carrying out justice is difficult. You know, sometimes it's difficult because, you know, and, and, and not only did David have sin, but sometimes as a leader, you get tired of having to always deal with conflict. And so you sometimes let things slide. But a leader's called not to let things slide. And sometimes you got to deal with the conflict because the more you avoid it, the worse it gets. It doesn't go away. It just keeps coming back more complicated. It has to be dealt with. And so he says, so the Lord will return his blood on his own head 
because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword. Abiathar, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. Though my father David did not know it. In other words, David didn't command Joab to carry these things out and didn't know that he was doing it. He did it of his own accord. Their blood shall therefore be returned upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah, the son of that dude, went up and struck and killed him. And he buried him in his own house in the wilderness. Then it says that the king put Benaiah, the son of that guy, in his place over the army. So he carried out the direction of the king faithfully, and he got promoted to the position that Joab had. And the king put Zodak, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. What's happening is a new cabinet is being formed. The house is being cleaned of these unfaithful men, and these faithful men are being put in their place. And these, these men have been serving under the other two all this time, but they stayed loyal when things got, got kind of um, shaky. Now, some of the things that Solomon is saying, that their blood be on their head, um, I want to just remind you um, what's not being, what, we're, what we can't take these verses and uh, justify is this teaching that's going around the church called generational curses. And I, I didn't plan to spend time on it, but I would encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 18 where God deals with the concept of generational curse. Um, and God says that I don't want to hear this speaking of generational curses anymore. I deal with the individual. I deal with the individual who sins. The soul who sins is mine, God says. So, and he explains it very well in that chapter that even if a, a father is horrible, but a son chooses to do right, God deals with him according to his own character. Does that make sense? I don't have time to get into it, but if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But I would tell you, just encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 18 all the way through. Now, there can be influence passed down from a parent. There's influence. If you grow up in somebody's house, it's going to have an influence on you. But it, you're not cursed. And one of the reasons you're not cursed is when you come to Christ, whom the Son sets free is. Free. Now, how are you going to be saved, spirit-filled, born again, and be under a curse at the same time? So we got to understand that. So I want to make sure you understand that. All right. Verse 36. Everybody ready to go? Yes. We're going to wrap it up. Here we go. Then the king sent and called for Shimei. Uh-oh. This is the one his dad mentioned. Remember that? This is the one that curses that. Okay. And he said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and do not go out from there anywhere for it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron. Know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. So what Solomon, David said, use your own wisdom. So Solomon put him on house arrest. They didn't have the brace, the, the little ankle things back then. <laughs> He didn't need it. He put the word out in his, in his cabinet. If you see this dude cross the Kidron Valley, he's dead. And so he has to go home and stay home, basically. Um, and Shimei said to the king, the, the, the sand is good, as long as I get to live. The sand is good. Uh, as my lord, the king has said, your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. But now it happened at the end of three years 
that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, uh, the son of Micaiah, the king of Gath. So they go down to the Philistines. And they told Shimei, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slave. He probably thinking, man, you know what? Things have been good. The king, man, the king and I, we're probably good now. He forgot about all that. Let me go get my, my property. And that's what he's thinking, you know. Um, I need to go get my property. He should have let it go. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish and Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. He recovered his property. Verse 41. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day that you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, the word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? Then the king said, moreover to Shimei, you know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father, David. Therefore, the Lord will return wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of that guy. And he went out and struck him down and he died. Thus, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So he got everybody dealt with. Ain't that something? And his, uh, the ranks have been cleaned out. His cabinet has been established with honorable men. And as we're going to see as we go through this, in chapter 4, we'll get into his, his administration. He's going to have very wise men around him as counsel. And that's another part of leadership that we'll learn is that uh, any leader needs to have good people around him. Not yes men, but people who are wise, who are strong, who are faithful to the Lord, who will give good, wise counsel um, when it is needed. And so that's part of the success of Solomon as king is the people that he surrounded himself with. And I think it's important for us to learn that because in this room, I'm sure there are business owners and managers at, at jobs, supervisors, um, ministry leaders, overseers, elders, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and parents, more importantly than all of those things, and husbands. Um, and so it's, 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 it's things that we see here. The Holy Spirit will use a lot of these things just to speak to you and strengthen you and what you've been called to do so that we can all be successful at what God has called us to do. And God is the one who gives the wisdom. So next week, we're going to begin to see the wisdom that Solomon got that we've been talking about in the book of Proverbs, how all of that came uh, about when we come together next time. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Father, thank you for meeting us here tonight. And speaking to us from your word, as you're always so faithful to do, Lord God, I um, pray that you would be with us as we go out, that you would lead us, Lord, that you would cover our homes, our cars, protect our families, we pray, Lord. I pray you give wisdom and discernment in all that we do. Keep us, Lord, on the jobs tomorrow in the marketplaces and all the places that, that we've been called to go and the business that we've been called to, to do. Any little thing, Lord, you care about every little thing that we're involved in because we belong to you. We are your ambassadors. And so therefore, Lord, everywhere we go, we're called to redeem the time to bring the fragrance of Christ. And so help us to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.